Walters is the spot to be in Navy Yard as the NFL season kicks off this Thursday night. Kansas City hosts Detroit kickoff at 820. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sixth wins. Rookies and RBIs. It drills the next pitch to deep left. Back goes Blankenhorn looking up. It's going, going, and long gone. Goodbye. That one lands in section 102 beyond the visitor's bullpen. And that is a three-run homer for Francisco Alvarez. Gives the Mets a crooked number here at the top of the first. Four runs on the board. New York four and Washington nothing. Here's the 0-1. Swing a long drive down the right field line. Deep toward the corner. It's trouble if it's fair. And it's fair. Off the back wall, the Nationals bullpen. A line drive home run for Brandon Nimmo. And it's 8-1 New York. Nimmo's 21st of the season in his first ever home run against Corbin in 37 at-bats. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, September 6th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's a question for you. Is it good when a team has hit the second fewest home runs in the majors and has allowed the most home runs in the majors? No? Okay. Well, that is the reality for the 2023 Nationals. They, on Tuesday night, got out-homered 5 nothing in an 11-5 loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park in uh, Game 1 of a two-game series. The Nats this season have hit just 127 home runs, second-fewest in the majors, and have allowed 215 home runs, the most home runs allowed in the majors. Uh, Nats now have lost six consecutive games in eight of the team's last nine games. The Nats, during their ongoing six-game losing streak, have been outscored 49-20, And the Nats for the season are 62 and 77. Mark, I do believe that the phrase is September swoon. Now, there's time to change this, but the Nats so far in September are swooning. I seem to recall, I believe exactly a week ago, Al, you making a big deal out of the Nats winning their 62nd game and saying they were all but guaranteed not to lose 100 this year. Well, how's it gone since then? It's still mathematically possible, believe it or not. It is pretty dramatic to see how much has changed in a week. They were flying high. They won that game in Toronto. It was a tense, exciting game, big crowd, playoff atmosphere. And the mood inside that clubhouse was, hey, we are on the rise here and we are showing we can beat good teams in hostile environments. And everything since then has gone in the exact opposite direction. Now, I think we both had a sense there might be a regression coming up here, but this has been pretty dramatic in the opposite direction where They've lost a couple of close games, but they've lost several blowout games here lately. The starting pitching 
has not been giving them a chance many of these nights. And that has all of a sudden made for some very unwatchable baseball in the last week. There's no question about it. The Nats on Tuesday night were without both C.J. Abrams and Lane Thomas. Abrams got another day off here, off the day off on Monday, as uh, he has looked pretty worn down lately. And uh, Lane Thomas is back to dealing with issues with the back. So we'll have to see what comes of that. But still, it does start with the starting pitching. The Nats starting pitching during this six-game losing streak has been horrendous. Nats starting pitchers during this current six-game losing streak for the team have combined to allow 34 runs in 27 innings. We have seen some really wretched outings and a starting pitching unit that for a decent chunk of the season actually looked like it was all right. Not great, but you know, it was giving you chances in games. The Nats now have a starting pitching ERA for the year at 486. So, you know, we are flirting with a starting pitching ERA of five. So, you know, you really can't talk too much about improvement in starting pitching when that is what you're dealing with. And the Nats starting pitcher on Tuesday night was Patrick Corbin, and he had one of his uh, Patrick Corbin-esque disastrous outings that we have come to know all too well these last few seasons. Corbin on Tuesday night, eight runs in four innings. He gave up seven hits, three home runs, a triple, and three singles. He issued a walk into hit by pitch. He recorded just two strikeouts. He threw 83 pitches, 53 strikes versus 30 balls. The home runs were a killer. I mean, I can't emphasize this enough. The Nats on Tuesday night got out homered by the Mets 5-0. Corbin in the top of the first allowed four runs, including giving up a two-out three-run home run by Francisco Alvarez on a bomb to left field for a 4-0 Mets lead, 419 feet per stat cast. Corbin in the top of the third allowed two runs, including giving up a leadoff full count home run by Francisco Lindor to left center for a 5-1 Mets lead. That homer came despite Lindor having been down at 1.02. And Corbin in the top of the fourth allowed a run on a one-out solo homer by Brandon Nimmo to right field for an 8-1 Mets lead. It is something when you look at these homers. I mentioned the Nats having allowed the most homers in the majors this season. Patrick Corbin now has allowed 30 home runs this season. Trevor Williams this season has allowed 33 home runs. The Nats have two of the worst home run allowing starting pitchers in the majors this season. Yeah, I was going to say, is it a good sign if you have the guy who leads the National League in home runs allowed and the guy who's tied for second in home runs allowed in the National League? Not a good spot to be in. It has been a problem, not just this year, but in the past. We're just repeating ourselves at this point. All I'm going to say about Corbin in this one is, is this. For all his faults, and there are plenty of them, and it has not been a good season by any stretch, the one thing you could count on him this year has been innings. He had, on opening day, he got knocked out in the fourth inning. Ever since then, he has completed at least five innings every single start until this one. And that was actually the most striking thing. I kind of thought Davey Martinez was just going to leave him out there until he got to 100, 110 pitches, no matter the score. And instead, he pulled him after the fourth at 85 pitches, I think it was. And it was kind of surprising to see that because that's not something we're used to from him. But it was perfectly justified because he was not getting any better. Sometimes he has a bad first inning and then bounces back and, you know, tries to keep it somewhat competitive and keep the game within reach. And then he ends up, you know, making it to the sixth inning. That just was not the case here. He was getting hit. He was getting hit hard. And again, not that he was at any point having a good season, but we talked about this a few weeks ago. He was becoming somewhat more respectable and had an ERA in the high fours. Well, all of a sudden, He's back well up over five again with only three, maybe four starts left on the season. 
barring a turnaround in the other direction, and they're facing some pretty good teams here down the stretch, he's going to finish with a plus five ERA yet again. And there's no way to paint that in a positive light. What do you think is realistic with Corbin next season? We haven't really had the conversation this season about him being demoted to the bullpen or anything like that, because it just hasn't been realistic. And it's not something that the team is going to do. I mean, if the team was going to do that, the team would have done that a while back, hasn't done that. Like you said, he has at least given the team innings. And let's be honest, the organization isn't exactly overflowing with legitimate starting pitching options right now. But when it comes to next season, the final season of that six-year contract, do you think he's just going to be in the rotation until the Nats have somebody better? Do you think it's possible that we next season do see a buyout? Do you think it's possible we next season see him be in the bullpen? I mean, at this point, we know this is who he is. I think what a lot of people are wondering is, how much longer exactly are we going to have to dance this dance? Because we've obviously been dancing it for uh, way too long now. Yeah, way too long. And I think almost any other situation, the dance would have ended by now. But we've outlined the reasons why that hasn't been the case yet. And I don't really see a likely scenario that it ends this offseason. Let's talk opening day rotation next year. What do we feel comfortable in saying? Gray, Gore, Irvin, maybe Adone, <laughs> the way things have gone for him. I don't think Cavalli is going to be ready opening day. I think by design, they're going to hold him back some. Best case scenario, that's four guys who are ready to open the year and all four relatively young guys. You're going to want somebody who at least gives you some innings, somebody with experience. So you got Trevor Williams, you got Patrick Corbin. Are they going to put Williams in the rotation ahead of Corbin? I don't think so based on the way this year has gone. So unless they go out and spend some money this winter or make a trade for a starter, which I think is possible, but I don't really think it's all that likely that come April 1st, 2024, Corbin is either off the team or in the bullpen. I do think as the 24 season plays out, if things go the way that they hope it will and that they want to believe it will, and Cade Cavalli is up here, maybe Jackson Rutledge is up here, the other guys are showing that they can have some success, then you can finally make a decision there. And I would guess that the first move is in the bullpen. And then if that doesn't go well, and that's a disaster at some point you decide, okay, it's a sunk cost. It's the final year of a contract. It's time to move on. But I think a lot of things have to happen between now and then. What about Jackson Rutledge to begin next regular season in the rotation? Do you think that that's on the table or do you think for developmental and also service time reasons, we would not see that? I think it depends on if we see him here in the final weeks of the season, which we may. We may see him make his major league debut and depends on how that goes and then how he looks in spring training. I think they'd keep an open mind on that, but he is a guy as well that they have to watch his workload. A whole lot of injuries. It's funny, we're talking about him as like a guy who'd come up in September and take some innings so that the other young guys can be shut down. Well, Rutledge needs to be watched as well. Now, they've monitored him at, in the minors. You can do more of that and you know hold him out some and, and limit his innings and pull him early no matter how he's doing. But he doesn't have that much left that I think they can throw him in. So I could see a scenario where they also want to say, unless he's just lights out whenever he comes up here, where they say, hey, let's start you out at AAA, keep you to four or five innings a start, push you back a little bit. And then at some point, if he's pitching well enough, you call him up and then feel comfortable extending him through the rest of the year. But again, that's a lot of what ifs. And from a guy that we just haven't really seen yet, enough evidence to know that he is going to be the real deal. Yes. And so to summarize the Patrick Corbin dance, prepare yourself to continue dancing uh, for at least 
a little while longer. But, you know, it wasn't just Corbin who gave up homers on Tuesday night. Two Nats relievers in this 11-5 loss to the Mets on Tuesday night combined to allow three runs in five innings. Andres Machado, all things considered, did a pretty good job. One run in three innings. But he, in the top of the fifth, gave up a leadoff home run by Pete Alonso on a moonshot man to left field for a 9-1 Mets lead. The homer winner projected 420 feet per stat cast. And Amos Willingham allowed two runs in two innings. He, in the top of the ninth, in the top of the ninth off the Nats having just scored four runs in the bottom of the eighth to make the game at least mildly interesting, gave up a first pitch leadoff home run by Brandon Nimmo to center field for an 11-5 Mets lead. So any delusions you might have had of some great Nats comeback were uh, calmed down considerably by that 430-foot blast for StatCast by Brandon Nimmo. You asked Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference about something that is impossible to ignore if you're a Nats fan. The frequency with which relievers for the Nats come into games and give up home runs to the first batters who the relievers face. This keeps happening. The bullpen has given up a lot of home runs this season, but especially home runs to first batters faced. What is the deal with that? You know what you're doing. You, you, you can't come in and throw. You know, if you're going to pitch in, you got to get the ball in. So it's happened. I finally looked it up. It's happened 25 times this season that a reliever has come in for the Nationals and given up a home run to the first batter. And Machado is far and away the worst worst culprit. I had to like double and triple check this because it almost sounded impossible to be true. He's made 32 appearances in the big leagues for the Nationals. And in seven of them, he's given up a home run to the first batter that he's faced. I mean, that is astounding to think about. And he doesn't give up much else. Like, that's it. He either gets the guy out or he gives up a home run. And I think what I'm left with, and Davey kind of alluded to this, is you come in, especially to start an inning, and your mindset is always going to be, well, don't walk the first hitter. You know, be aggressive, throw him strikes. And you tend to just think too much about throwing it over the plate. And you don't realize, like, a fastball over the plate has a good chance of being hit very hard and hit out of the park. And I think that's something that may be happening with all of them. And in Machado's case, I think it's really fascinating that there was a stretch there that he was becoming a fireman. Like, you bring him in with two on and one out, and he pitches his way out of it really effectively. You put him into a game like this where he gets a clean inning and you're already trailing by a bunch of runs. I think for whatever reason, he doesn't have the same adrenaline going, the same precision going. He's not treating those games the same way that he treats a really tight game with runners on base. And I'm sorry, you want to be a reliever in the big leagues. You got to treat every game like it's a one run game, no matter the score. That to me is a problem. And it maybe underscores why, even though you clearly see he's got some stuff and has the ability to be effective, he has not shown that he can do that on a consistent basis. And it's probably the reason why he's been DFA twice this year and still keeps finding a way back here. So if you just isolate Nats pitching this season to relief pitching, Nats relievers have allowed the most home runs in the majors. So the Nats have allowed the most relief pitching home runs in the majors. Nats relievers also have the lowest strikeouts per nine innings among relief pitchers for teams in the majors. So that is a nasty combination. You give up a lot of home runs and you don't strike guys out. This is an issue that really does need to be addressed moving forward. We've talked so many times about, you know, bullpen construction and, you know, the Nats problems putting together good bullpens over the years. But boy, that is a double whammy that like every general manager has got to avoid a bullpen that A, gives up a lot of home runs and B, doesn't strike guys out. I mean, we've heard this over the years about Mike Rizzo. He loves power pitchers. 
The Nats don't really have that in their bullpen, even though we know, like, well, Hunter Harvey can strike guys out. Kyle Finnegan can strike guys out. Maybe Tanner Rainey next season, if he's healthy, can be a good strikeout pitcher for the Nats. But boy, this bullpen this season, not striking guys out, giving up all these home runs, and like we just talked about, giving up home runs to first batters faced in games, not good. That is a bad concoction for a bullpen. And I mean, think about how many times you are coming into a game in a spot where you say, we need a strikeout here. <laughs> like any ball in play is going to cost us. And yeah, they have Hunter Harvey is good at that. Finnegan at times can do that. Although I feel like his best work in those spots is to come in and get a ground ball and try to get a double play. He's been effective at that this year. So yeah, you always want more strikeout pitchers in your bullpen. I mean, they don't have it in their rotation that much either, but it is a problem. It, it's not the way you typically go about it in the year 2023 trying to have relievers who pitch to contact. And I don't think this is like by design. I don't think Jim Hickey is saying, no, don't try to strike guys out out of the bullpen. Let's try to get weak contact. No, they would love for them to strike out more. I just don't think they have the horses in a lot of these cases other than you know the premium guys at the end of games. They're going to need more depth there, whether that's rainy, whether it's going outside for somebody else. And, you know, I could see somebody like Jose Ferrer maybe becoming a good strikeout pitcher over time, but they don't have enough of them to be sure. And it is something you need, not just one or two, but like three, four, five guys who have that ability. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi here to tell you about another great deal being offered right now by Window Nation to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Window Nation is offering you even more. When it comes to new windows, Window Nation always gives you more, but now Window Nation is giving you even more, more. <laughs> the more windows that you buy, the more that you save up to 50% off, plus a lot more. Pay nothing for two full years. Another amazing deal on the great windows that Window Nation can provide to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Save up to 50% with the purchase of a house of windows. You know, even given what has been happening with interest and mortgage rates, Window Nation still is keeping 0% interest for two years. Upgrade the look and value of your home. Save big money on your energy bills with great Window Nation windows. You know, Window Nation has installed nearly 2 million windows with a 96% perfection rating, making Window Nation one of the top window companies in the country. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the great deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, the more windows that you buy, the more that you save, up to 50% off, plus you pay nothing for two full years. If you have been thinking about getting new windows, this is the deal on which to capitalize. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Dot com And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi from the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. The Game Time app is loaded this week with tons of local ticketing options, Nats, Commanders, DC United, Mystics, and a slew of concerts. If you want to get out of the house this weekend for one of these events, make sure to check the Game Time app. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect 
when you arrive. And listeners, download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about Factor, which is offering a great deal for listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast, 50% off. September has arrived. Uh, That means even more of a focus on the Nats promising young players, but that also means that your busy life now is even busier. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. It can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy this fall to cook, but you want to make sure that you're eating well? Well, with Factor, uh, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Go to factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the code NatsChat50 for 50% off. One more time, factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the code NatsChat50 to get 50% off. Here's your Dylan Cruz update for the game played Tuesday evening in Altoona, Pennsylvania. He had a pair of hits out of the leadoff spot, lifting his batting average above the Mendoza line. He's now at 205. Cruz is in right field. James Wood patrolled center field. Harrisburg defeated Altoona 6-4. Tough week for the Altoona Curve marketing team. The Pirates placed Paul Skeens on the developmental list, meaning he will head to Bradenton, Florida and not pitch anymore this year. Originally, he was going to face Cruz on Thursday. Now back to Mark and Al. Now the pitch, swing, a little looper, shallow center, resale going out, it's over his head, a base hit into center field. Cole scores from third, Alou will stop at second. The Nationals' first three batters have reached here in the bottom of the eighth inning. RBI for Jacob Young is third in the big leagues, and it's now the Mets' ten. And the Nationals' two runners, first and second, still nobody out. Well, the Nats on Tuesday night, offensively speaking, scored five runs on seven hits and four walks, but the seven hits were comprised of a double and six singles. So whereas the Mets were smashing five home runs, the Nats were hitting no home runs and having six singles and a double. There was, though, an offensive bright spot for the Nats, and that was Jacob Young. So with no C.J. Abrams and with no Lane Thomas, it was Jacob Young, who lately had been batting in the number nine spot, batting in the number one spot, and he rose to the occasion. Jacob Young, as an ad starting center fielder and number one batter, went two for four with a double, an RBI single, and a walk. Young, in an ad's one run first, had a leadoff opposite field double to the right center field gap on a 1-2 pitch. Young, in the Nats, four-run eighth, an RBI single to center field to cut the Nats deficit to 10-2. And Young, in the bottom of the ninth, drew a two-out walk. It was on August 26th that the Nats announced that they had selected the contract of Jacob Young from AAA Rochester. Small sample size, to be sure, but over 35 plate appearances with the Nats, since being called up, he has an on-base percentage of 353. We know he can run. That double sure was impressive. And Jacob Young had himself a nice game on Tuesday night. I will say it has been fun to watch him play because he puts the bat on the ball and then you just turn your attention to him. You don't even watch where the ball's going. You just watch him run because he's got a good chance either to beat it out or to turn a single into a double or double into a triple. And he seems very comfortable hitting in the leadoff spot. He's done it his whole life. That's the kind of hitter that he is. 
Probably didn't expect this to happen in the big leagues already, but with C.J. Abrams getting the day off and Lane Thomas being out with the back issue, Davey needed somebody at the top of the lineup. And so he said, hey, let's throw the kid out there and see how he does. And he did a very nice job. He set the tone nicely in the first. I mean, you're down 4 nothing already when you come to the plate. That's an intimidating spot to be in. And he immediately tried to reverse the trend in the opposite direction with the leadoff hustle double and then scores pretty easily on Joey Manessis' single. So, you know, I like it. I, I like what we're seeing there. I don't know if it's sustainable. I don't know really how he fits into this, if he can keep this going. But as we've talked about with him and with some others, the opportunity is there for you over the final few weeks of the season. It's probably not going to be there next year when Dylan Cruz, James Wood, Robert Hassel are in the mix. So if you're going to make a statement, now's your chance. So far, so good from him. And, and we'll see where it leads. I was thinking about this. I'm interested in your opinion on this. So we all know that, you know, the likelihood is that Jacob Young and Jake Alou and Travis Blankenhorn are, you know, probably destined to be bench guys on good teams. You know, maybe on lesser teams, those guys are starting. But if I said to you, one of those guys ends up becoming a player for the Nats moving forward, ends up becoming a starter, ends up becoming a legitimate key contributor to the next wave of good Nats teams, who do you think has the best shot to be that guy at a these guys who we're seeing at the major league level right now. Wow, that's an interesting one. I think I think Alou would have the best shot at making it as a hitter. I think Young would have the best shot at making it based on his speed and his defense. And we've seen, look, the Nationals have had more than a few weak hitting but really fast good defensive center fielders play for them. So you can kind of get away with a Jacob Young as a number 9 hitter in the big leagues as, as something of an everyday player. So I could see that. I think for a Lou, it's going to be tougher because I don't know defensively. I know he's got versatility, play multiple positions, but he's not really playing any of them that great. I, at second base, you kind of realize that he doesn't really have a lot of arm strength. Turning double plays is not the best. And look, you can have good hitting, bad fielding second baseman. I think Daniel Murphy would be first on that list. I just don't know that a Lou's going to hit enough to really justify that. So out of that group, I think I would say Jacob Young would have the best chance, but I feel like his ceiling is probably more so as a fourth outfielder who you bring in for defense late, who can pinch run, come off the bench and do a few different things for you. Knowing who's coming, it's hard to imagine him beating out these other guys for a starting job in the next year or two. So regarding who's coming, we haven't talked too much about this. I think it's best with these prospects to not be fixated on their day-in, day-out performances. I think it's better to take like more of a, a bigger picture view at how these guys are doing. Maybe check in like once a week, you know, twice a month, something like that. Otherwise, you drive yourself crazy with how each guy is doing at each game. And, you know, we're not watching these games, so you're going off box scores. But something that really has become hard to ignore. So first of all, Dylan Cruz is struggling for AA Harrisburg. I don't know how much that means. It's been a long year for him, right? He played for LSU, national champion. Now with the Nats, he's played at multiple minor league levels. He may be worn down. I'm willing to give Cruz a pass with his struggles for Harrisburg. But the strikeout numbers for Robert Hassel III and Elijah Green are jarring. And we're not talking about, you know, a one-month run of guys striking out a lot. If you look at each guy for the entirety of his 2023 season coming into Tuesday, okay? So we'll start with Elijah Green. Elijah Green this season over two levels of minor league baseball for the Nats, 338 plate appearances, 139 strikeouts. 
and he's not hitting at the highest levels of the minors. Robert Hassel III this season for the Nats over again, two levels of their minor league system, 496 plate appearances, 150 strikeouts. I don't think it's wrong to have some real questions about this. And these guys striking out like this at these lower levels, single A, double A, and what that might mean. I mean, if you're striking out like that at single A, double A, what is that going to mean at triple A, let alone the majors? Do you think internally the Nats are concerned with how much Green and Hassel have been striking out this season? So I think you have to look at these as two separate cases for the following reason. Elijah Green has always been a high strikeout guy. They knew that's what he was going to be you know, in high school. When they drafted him, they understood that this guy is a physical specimen who makes really loud contact when he makes contact, but he doesn't make contact a whole lot. And they went into this knowing that that was going to be the biggest flaw in his game and hoping that they could get him to improve somewhat or at least not regress. Now, the strikeout rate has been ridiculously high for him, and that is frustrating. But I think you also say, okay, he's just out of high school, and this is kind of who he is. And if he can at least make enough contact to hit a lot of home runs and then run the bases with his speed that he has, that they can maybe live with that. In Hassel's case, that's not who he has been in the past. Prior to the trade, he was not a high strikeout guy. He's at basically 33% strikeout rate this year. That's an 11% increase from last year. That's a little bit concerning. Now, the thing with Hassel, remember he broke his handmade bone in the fall league, and there was an understanding that he may get off to a slow start this year. And for a lot of hitters who have that surgery, the power does not come back and it can be a while till that happens. Now, that part happened, but the increase in strikeouts, you wouldn't think should be correlated to the handmade surgery. So I don't know specifically if there's any reason to think that that has something to do with it or not, but I don't think people are surprised by the lack of production and lack of power. He's slugging 319 at Harrisburg, but I do think there's a surprise at the strikeout rate, and I think that is a cause for concern. Now, I think in his case, you say, all right, it's the first full year back from that. You want to give him a chance again next year and see where it goes, but I think the leash is going to be a little shorter there, and a guy that coming into the year you thought might have been closest to big league ready out of all of them? Probably isn't. He's kind of been leapfrogged by a few, and he may need some more time to prove himself. Elijah Green's a long-term project. I think they knew that all along that was going to be the case. So I don't want to say they're not alarmed by it because I think they are, but I think they also kind of felt like, well, there's a decent chance that's who he was going to be. You just hope that he makes enough contact and hits the ball hard enough that you can live with all the strikeouts. Yeah. I mean, Obviously, strikeouts today are a lot more acceptable than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. But when you're talking 33% strikeout rates, like (laughs) you can't have that, okay? Especially when, again, you're doing that in the lower levels of the minors. Like what is it going to look like when you get to the majors when so many pitchers are strikeout guys? So I bring this up not to write these guys off, but I think it is worth acknowledging like Hassel and Green have had real strikeout problems so far this year. Let me also mention, you, you mentioned Cruz and how he's not got good numbers so far at AA. The one encouraging thing there, he's not striking out. And so I think that is a case you can say, okay, give him a little bit of time. If he was whiffing at everything, you'd be worried. But he does have a good eye at the plate. He is good at contact. I think that's probably a case of, like you said, a young guy, a long season starting at, at college level, playing all the way through the World Series, a lot of high emotion, high stress games. And then he dominated right away in the low levels. And you know, let's be clear, as much as we want to believe that even the best player in college can just jump to double A 
and thrive, it does take a little bit of time. Not everybody's one Soto. There may be a little bit of adjustment period. So I don't think anybody's overly concerned about that. I do believe they know he's going to hit. And I think the low strikeout for rate for on him is actually an encouraging sign that he's still the kind of hitter they knew he was with the good eye and good contact. A couple quick hitters before we go. So like I said, Lane Thomas not in the lineup on Tuesday night due to this continued issue with the back. Now, the last time that he missed a game with the back, he came back on a tear and hit a home run in each of the final three games of a four-game series. But I know that Davey told you guys before the game that Lane was to get an MRI exam. Did Davey have those results post-game or not yet? No, we didn't have it yet. I think we'll find out more on Wednesday. It sounds like regardless, they may sit him out Wednesday anyways, recognizing that this weird schedule with off day, two games, another off day might not be the worst thing to give him all that time to rest and relax from it. I saw him in the clubhouse. It's not like he's limping around or anything like that. I think it's probably something that as he gets running and trying to play the game that he feels a little bit more. He's had such a good year for them. There's no reason to risk this being anything worse that could suddenly end his season early or even disrupt his off season. So I think they're going to be careful there. You know, they'll see what the MRI results show. I don't think there's a super amount of fear there that it's anything serious, but I also think they're at a point in the season where they don't want to force the issue and say, well, he's on a hot streak. We got to get him in there. It is funny. The home runs, Lane kind of jokingly said that the bad back almost forced him to shorten his swing a little more compact and look at the results. So Davey said, well, keep that in mind. Even when your back's feeling good, keep trying to do that. Pretend like your back doesn't feel good because he did seem to make a little adjustment there intentionally or not, and it's paid off at the plate. Yeah, it was surprising that the back was back to ailing because it looked like the back wasn't hurting him at all in those recent three games. But that's an interesting nugget there. And then Mackenzie Gore off the bereavement list. So is he going to be the Nat starter for a game one against the Dodgers on Friday night? That is the plan. He's going to throw a bullpen session on Wednesday. And as long as that goes fine, they will have him start on Friday against the Dodgers. And that's going to end up being 10 days since his last start. So wasn't intentional. We talked the other day about the circumstances of all this, but it does kind of work out where it's the equivalent of skipping one of his starts, something they've been thinking about doing anyways, and, and a way to help get him here through the end of September. He's at 132 innings. It's about 30 more than he's ever thrown as a professional. It is something they have to be very cognizant of. And so here's at least a chance for him to essentially skip a start and buy him some time before he takes the mound again. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you'd like to sponsor the program. Hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you. NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We have a website that we invite you to check out, NatsChatPodcast.com, in which you can buy a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit TimNewmark.com. Next up for the Nats, game two of this uh, two-game series against the Mets at Nationals Park, Wednesday night at 7.05. Joanna Doan will be the Nats' starting pitcher. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Three balls, two strikes. Cool run, sets, kicks, delivers. And the pitch is high, ball four. That's how Drew Millis gets his first major league run batted in with a bases-loaded walk. Now the Mets 10 and the Nationals 3. And I think Buck Showalter was out of the dugout while the pitch was still on the way to the plate.
Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.